The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Hey, everybody. My name is Stacy Croft. I am the pastor for our Music Row location. If I haven't met you, and uh, welcome this morning. Um, I'm uh, glad. I think this is probably one of our few times, last times, to be able to uh, do this in the live stream. And um, uh, for me, at least, I'll be videotaping from our Music Row location at Scarrett Bennett from uh, this point forward. And, um, and in June, on June 7th, Lord willing, uh, we will actually be having in-person gatherings at Scarrett Bennett as well as the other locations of Christ Presbyterian Church. And uh, we're looking forward to that. We're going to send out some more details about that coming up. But I do know that we are looking at, uh, for next week, having possibly, weather permitting, uh, an outdoor service. And so I'm hoping that we can meet outdoors and uh, enjoy that. It'll be a, a, a nice, fun, kind of stripped-down service uh, outdoors with everything a part of it, liturgy and all, but just different in terms of being outdoors and, uh, and uh, the way that we run that. So excited. Hope you can join us. Uh, excited about that. It's going to be a fun time together. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing so many of you. I've missed seeing. I've seen many of you on Zoom or called you and hopefully can continue to as I've kind of made our way through um, a lot of names and numbers and just trying to touch with people, touch base with folks. And I would love to touch base with more of you. So Well, let me read our scripture for us this morning uh, from Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech. And I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You know, some time ago, I was able to go to uh, the Matt Carney concert. I don't know if you've seen Matt Carney. He's, from, he's, uh, he's been around for a, a while and had several albums out. But this is a few years ago. I got to see him at a local venue in Nashville. And um, I remember as he came out for one of his big songs at the time was Nothing Left to Lose. It was kind of his debut song. Everybody kind of knew him for it. And uh, it it was fun, as many artists do, they come out and they play their song. Uh, But, you know, oftentimes you love those moments where they share kind of the story behind the song. Well, this particular one was his journey from Oregon to Nashville. And he really kind of went into the depth of what that meant for him to travel. Uh, even, I think, when they shot the video for the song, it's about him, it's him in a car driving along on the road. And him sharing about what it was like to come from Oregon, that road trip, thinking about what's next. Not, you know, getting to Nashville yet, but just what was on it. You know, the, the lines of push the pedal down, watching the world fly by us. Those kind of songs, those road trip songs, uh, or those songs that some of the best songs have been written not just, you know, for, about the road, and they have, but have been written on it. Some of the artists who've written some of the, the most depth, uh, deep songs that hit our core 
really come from a place of in-between. It's them leaving one place and getting to another. I mean, think about things like Life is a Highway, right? One of the most popular songs. Uh, one of my favorites by Gabe Dixon, Five More Hours, Five More Hours, Five More Hours of Highway uh, until I uh, see the place I love. And I'm with you again. So many songs like that. And, and what's beautiful about those particular songs is you get to kind of, as I got to hear Matt Carney say, uh, reflect, uh, hear the reflection of the artist, but even think in the moment of those hours, those minutes that pass by as you're kind of leaving one place that has narrative and story and you're thinking about where you're going next and you're reflecting on all that was and you're looking forward to all that is to come. You know, we're starting a new series in what's called the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, ascent is a word meaning going up. And there are a number of thoughts about what these psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, are about. But really what the the grouping of them is about is people who are pilgriming, going to Jerusalem in order to worship. And you get them on the way. These are songs that were written on the way. And this one in particular, Psalm 120, opens it up that way. This is the going up. This is the going up from wherever it may have been, some uh, foreign land, as we see in here, a place of quite a lot of pain for them as they're kind of moving towards it. But this one is very interesting because it really expresses the tension of where this psalmist is coming from. And when people would take this psalm, they'd sing it on the way. It could have been one expressing the, uh, <clears throat> those who had been taken in captivity during Babylonian captivity or even uh, further back, the Assyrian. It could have been beyond that. But it really expresses the tension of where someone is living and the longing to get to Jerusalem, the longing as they moved along the road of them reflecting and really sharing their heart's uh, dissatisfaction and difficulty of where they've been and also just the longing for where they're going it's a pilgrim one it's a pilgrim psalm it's a pilgrim song uh, and, and one that I think we can especially in Music City resonate with as we love so many songs that we have taken up for ourselves that reflect on the road that reflect on the the pilgrim life that we live in And the tension of maybe where we live now, maybe where we've come from and where we're going, but the ultimate tension that we live with of what we're really longing for. And So I I want us to look at this psalm broken in kind of two parts. First is, uh, what does it mean to live as a pilgrim? What does does that actually mean? Um, (coughs) Excuse me. What does it really mean for someone to um, actually experience what it means to live as a pilgrim and then and, and also that longing for peace. You can see that, that that's a big theme in this. There's this longing for peace, but others are wanting war. So what, what do those two things have to do with this? The first part of this, it says, living is a pilgrim. It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, O dece- you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. You know, the first thing here, it's repeated over and over, is deceit. (laughs) This person in particular is living in a place currently and moving away from, reflecting on where they live, that is a place that really carries many lies, deceit. 
Another way of thinking of it is a false narrative, that the place that they live is, is completely false. And as they make their way to Jerusalem, they can't help but reflect on where they're coming out of, the, the constant place of, of never knowing when somebody is really, really telling you the truth, really being them. It could be an exhausting place. I mean, living in a city where everybody has an agenda and you never really know if what they're telling you is what they really mean or who they really are. How exhausting is that? We may not live in a place of super deceit and, and, uh, and may, may not feel that way necessarily about Nashville as a correlation, but, but really there is a lot here to that. And there's a lot of this here. And words are powerful. The tongue is a powerful thing. It, it, it distorts reality. We want people to see us in the light we want them to see us in. And we are willing to distort reality and distort wor- and use words to distort us by making us funnier, making us more successful, making ourselves better. The, the narrative that cre- we create that's a false one, that, that we need to create some sort of picture for them or someone else to think that we are better than we actually are. And this person is mourning. They're reflecting. They're saying, deliver me, God, from this place. Deliver me from a place where, where I never can really trust what's going on around me. And maybe they feel like they can't be themselves. Imagine that. Imagine the exhaustion of wanting to be known, wanting to share reality with someone or some group of people. And you just live amongst people that you can't trust. Maybe many of us may feel that way. Everybody's looking to you to, to try and build them up. They're only in relationship with you to get someplace or somewhere. They're not really your friend. You know, that's what's interesting about when we do this, what's called confession in worship. Confession is a word that means homologain. It means there's a similarity, a congruence between what's within us and what we say. And this is the complete opposite. And, and many times we may feel that way when we come to a time of confession where we want to say something. We're trying to muster up what we think we should say instead of what really is there, who we really are, even before God creating a false narrative. I mean, this is a world where this person is feeling like everybody's out for their own good and not other people's. And I'll tell you, nothing has drawn that out of us in this time, this time you know, this false the narrative that we've lived in has forced us to say, what is our, my story in the midst of this big story? And how do we actually view ourselves? How do we want people to view us? There's all sorts of narratives out there about what we should do or what we should think or what we should wear, mask, no mask, this or that. But we're all, we're, we all are fighting over these things. What is the real narrative? You know, this, this passage is drawing that up. And, and here's why this, this lying, this this deceit is so powerful. Think about this. What shall be given to you? Verse 3. What shall, more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Now this, this is stark. This is not the person, but them calling out on God. A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. The broom tree was a tree specifically used to create weapons of war because the wood itself would burn for hours. It would burn longer and hotter and you could melt and shape and create weapons of, of, of war in it. This is how important God takes deceit, changing the narrative, changing what it is. This judgment comes down on that. 
creating a false narrative God has this much judgment on. Why? Where does it come from? Think about how did it all begin in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Genesis is the very beginning. In the first couple chapters, you see God creating. His words, his language goes out and creates this glorious narrative, this glorious world where, where Adam and Eve can live in the garden, they can eat, they have a relationship with God. But what comes in to actually distort and destroy that? It's not all the things that we might think that we all hold up as maybe a certain sins. It's deceit. It's actually deceit. Deceit from Satan himself to say, God, you're not as good as, you know, God isn't as good as, as you, Adam, and you, Eve, actually think he is. Deceit in Adam and Eve to not listen to each other, to blame one another after sin even comes in. It's deceit that words get twisted. Did God really say this is what Satan says. This is why God has so much judgment towards deceit. It creates a false narrative in a false world. And it, what, did, what did it do? What did deceit do? It ripped apart their relationship with both God and one another. Their relationships were destroyed. They were taken apart. And this is why this person, even in this psalm, feels like a stranger in their own land. Because what happens in deceit? To live in a world of deceit, in a place where you can never feel like you can be you because you never know what that person's going to do with it. Don't you know that? I mean, I, I have those fears. When you share a part of yourself with someone and you, and you kind of leave that conversation and you go, are they going to use that against me? Are, are they going to use that as a weapon to tear me down? Are they going to use my words to destroy me? Or are they going to keep me? You know, that's what it did. It destroyed. And this is why this person feels like a stranger. Listen to verse 5 and 6. Woe to me. There's curses there even called down almost. That I sojourn in Meshech and that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. That this word dwelling, too long. They feel like a stranger in the place where they dwell. These two places, Meshech and Kedar, were places where where. Uh, they were a metaphor. If you look on a map, they're actually so far apart, it almost doesn't make sense what the person is saying that they actually could live or sojourn in each one. It actually is to say they feel so far away from Jerusalem, so far away from where they want to dwell. They sojourn and dwell in places where they feel like there's constant tension, where they may know the streets, <laughs> they may know the places to eat, they may know faces they know how to get to their work they know the regular routine but they feel like complete strangers some of you may have felt that especially being here in Nashville a place that has so much to offer so many things to to give and yet feeling like every step and everything you do and every event you enjoy feels like it just has no permanence to it feels like a place of impermanence. You can surround yourself with so many things and still feel like a stranger in, in a place where you actually dwell because it's a place that's full of a false narrative. And what is that? What does it strike when you feel that? It strikes what, what many call homesickness, right? Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I felt homesickness a number of times, especially when I went to camp. 
And a lot of times when I was at camp, I felt like I wanted not necessarily just to go home, back to my home where my parents were, but I also wanted to escape where I was. It was a place, a dwelling, where I felt like I was a stranger. I've, I, didn't, I wasn't known. I wasn't kept. I wasn't loved. It wasn't even so much going home that I felt necessarily like I was completely understood or gotten, but it was it less to do with that and more of where I was attached to. This is why one of my favorite songs uh, from my favorite band, my, probably my favorite song ever, I was asked one time, what song would I sing if I was in a, if I had one song to sing from a live stage? It would be you 2 still haven't found what I'm looking for. I love that song. Talk about a song of journey. And I remember Bono even talking about this song at one point live, just about what it meant. It's a pilgrim song. It's a song for people on the journey. Because he expresses in that song the things that I love, that you and I love. You know, that we believe Jesus has taken up the cross. He even says it in the song. You know, I believe it. I believe Jesus has taken up a cross. He's taken up all my sin. He's taken up those things. He even talks about that. You too does in this song. I love it. He says, and yet I still, still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's a homesickness. It's not, that, it's not a song of disbelief. It's a pilgrim song of knowing what we believe is true, but also knowing we're not, we haven't arrived yet. We're longing for something else. We're longing for what homesickness really is about, attachment. We're longing to be attached. You know, every day uh, when I've been able to go to work, uh, we have our office uh, music row for our music row offices at Christ Pres are at a WeWork off off music row, and um, I usually drive and get off on Demumbran and drive over it. Every time I pull up that stoplight on the on the uh, uh, access road, I always see on the bridge a trash can uh, or a trash bag rather tied to the bridge and. There's something about that trash bag. It's still there. I even drove there the other day. I haven't been, even been to my office in a while, obviously, for uh, obvious uh, reasons. Um, but I drove there just the other day, and I saw this trash bag there. And it just reminded me again of this thing. And I, I don't know what's in it. This is what's fascinating. I'm not sure what's in it. I've seen people on that bridge before uh, either selling papers or, or um, who may be homeless or, or, or taking uh, time to, to spend uh, the, at that corner uh, asking for money. And I'm not sure if it's someone's or whose it is, but it makes me think it might be. And whatever's in it is possibly someone's dwelling. No one's taken it off. I don't know if it's for trash. I would think not, but it looks like something where somebody keeps their possessions. It's their dwelling. It's where they keep their things. Dwelling is what we're attached to. It's not just a place. All of us, we could live in a, a million-dollar dwelling or we could live in a dwelling that's under a bridge, as many people in our city do, sadly. But what is, what is the homesickness that we really feel? It's the longing where we want to get to, even when we're dissatisfied with our uh, million-dollar homes. It's that we feel restless because there's an attachment to something we're supposed to be in different from where we are. It's the Garden of Eden. It's what we've always wanted to get back to, that desire to get back to that. Having that right relationship with God where Adam and Eve did at the very beginning of the Bible where they walked and talked with him in the cool of the day. And yet when this deceit entered, it not only destroyed the words, but it destroyed the narrative of what they believed in their reality with God, their relationship to him and everyone else. And it made 
that narrative cover whatever dwelling they're in to feel dissatisfied. This person, this psalmist is being honest. I love the honesty of this psalmist. They're speaking distress. They're distressed for what these people are stirring up in their lives. Calling out to the Lord because how long do I have to live in this dwelling? Because Jerusalem is where we want to go. It's where we want to head. It's where, where we want to worship. Where we want to connect to both the Lord and others who are like us. That we want, don't, won't feel like strangers as much. Isn't that where we want to go? We want to feel like we're connected again. We're not just watching this on a live stream, but we're actually sitting next to each other. Six feet apart, ten feet apart, who cares that we actually see a body near us. And that we feel like we're in the room. And we're connecting to the Lord. <laughs> we feel distress. See, there's a longing for peace, a longing sh- for shalom in the midst of feeling like we're living like pilgrims. And that's what this psalmist is saying. Verse 6, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. That's the, that's the key. I am for peace. What, what is peace here? You may have heard this word shalom. It's shalom in Hebrew, but the word shalom, peace, doesn't mean absence of war, and it doesn't mean things are just calm. It actually means complete. It means harmony. It means there's a togetherness. If this person is for peace, they're for harmony, they're for more than just people being nice. That's not peace. They're for actually seeing people being treated, the evil to be expunged out of the false narrative that is even in the place where they dwell. And they're moving, they're longing for this, the distress, they're calling out to the Lord for this. They are for peace, but it doesn't seem to be reciprocated. It's not something they receive back. They don't have harmony back. They experience even more that being a stranger in a distant land. But this is what they're called to be. This is what it means to be a pilgrim. Even First Peter in the New Testament, even the Psalms are in the Old Testament, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's a, it's a book in the Old Testament of beautiful songs. First Peter, written in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter, wrote something very similar about what it means for us as what he would call in a translation, resident aliens, to live in this land. He said things of this, that blessed God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again by a living hope through the resurrection, uh, through the dead. And that we are to live in this world, not being surprised by trials that come upon us. But he says, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Because our life here is to be a resident alien, showing that we are different. That we have a foot in one world and and a life in two. And that we're looking ahead. We're elect sojourners. Pilgrims not of this world, but pilgrims for peace. I love C.S. Lewis put it this way when he talked about what it meant to, to long for a distant country. He said it this way, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, the place where I ought to have been born. Do you think it all meant nothing, all the longing the longing for home, for indeed it feels not like going, but like going back. See, I love what C.S. Lewis is saying here. He says, 
the longing that we feel, this longing for peace, shalom, this longing for a place where really there's completeness and wholeness for us, isn't like a, a, a distant country. It's like going back to where we actually belong. See, instead of strangers, that's what we're longing to do. That's what home really is. That's what home is, is calling for us, is to say, we need to learn what it means to live in the tension of being pilgrims, but knowing that we are headed back to where we belong. And that's what this psalm is really getting at. That there, there are three things here that it really encourages us to do as pilgrims living for shalom here on earth, living as those who are going back. The first one is right at the beginning. He says, in my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me. It's prayer. It's actually prayer. Living in prayer and remembering, calling and answering. This, this, uh, this, um, these two words are used a lot in the Psalms, the calling and answering. And prayer, what it actually does is oftentimes we think when we pray that we're, and maybe this is why oftentimes we feel like we're praying into the void. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe even during this time, it's your prayers have either felt like they've just fallen flat or you felt more invigorated through prayer. But prayer isn't so much us kind of throwing a rope up to God and pulling him down to us. It's not us trying to, to take him and say, hey, hey, can I bend your ear? It's actually God utilizing his communication with us to pull us to him. It's actually more of us being drawn into him. It's recentering the narrative. It's us expressing the narrative of what we feel and where we are. And actually being honest and calling and answering that, this delivering, this crying out of this, the false life we feel like we've, we are living in and we're surrounded by. And calling to God to say, because he answers and he, we can't muster up peace. I can't do it. I, I, I can't muster up harmony and completeness. It's hard enough. I'm sure you've felt this hard enough feeling that in my own home. <laughs> being stuck in a home with, with yourself, by, whether you've been by yourself or a family with a number of children or anything in between. You know what peace has felt like. It has felt like Every, anything but completeness or shalom. It's felt like being a stranger in your own bedroom for these months. We can't muster up peace, but what prayer does is it reminds us, it draws us back to the real narrative, the one who's written the narrative, the one who's actually made it, the one who is whole. See, there is only one who actually is shalom, that is God. He's actually the only one who's never felt out of place He's never been a stranger. He's the complete one. Uh, there's a song I, I love, um, drawing out all the songs <laughs> this morning, uh, by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Kind of a funny uh, a group, but it may be uh, a funny name. You may recognize the name, but the song you would definitely recognize called Home. And there's so many songs about home, but this one in particular I love. Home, home. Home is wherever I'm with you. That's how it goes. I'll say, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've loved me singing that. But it, it, this is the, the whole chorus. Ah, home. Let me go home. Home is wherever I'm with you. Ah, home. Let me go home. Home is wherever I'm with you. That, that song is so sweet. And one of the things that's great about it, and sentimentalize it or whatever you may, but I, the, the tune and what it, how it is, is that home is where 
God is. And where does God dwell? With us. See, that's why this prayer, why prayer is so important. Because it moves into the tension. That's the second thing. That we need to learn to live in the tension, live in the longing. Maturing in tension. One of my favorite people in the world says, uh, he's a psychologist, he says, um, to, to have a self is to be misunderstood. One of the things that's been so encouraging to me is to learn that. What does it mean to have a self and to be misunderstood? Think about this psalmist right here in verse 7. I am for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. Every time this person speaks for peace, every time they speak and move, try and speak into the evil the, to bring completeness to harmony, to, holy, to wholeness, Therefore, it's countered, it's contradicted, they are completely missed. And isn't that what it really means to be a Christian? See, home isn't us being comfortable in this world. It's seeking peace, continuing to speak into this world and speak peace, but knowing we're going to be missed. Living in the tension of that. It's living in the tension that that we're going to be, to have a self in Christ, what it means to be in Jesus, to have an identity in him, means we're going to have people that don't get us at all, and that that's okay. I think one of the things we worship the most is not being awkward, is being connectable to everybody, and we just aren't. And I think we need to be okay with that. Maybe you're watching this now, maybe you're, a, you're new, or maybe you're a uh, maybe just delving back into Christianity. Maybe this is a hard tension for you. You're like, man, I don't know. Christianity is hard because it doesn't relate. Well, in some ways, it's, it definitely relates to everything. And in some ways, it doesn't because it's always calling for us the home, the home we're meant to go back to, not the one we're currently in. It's transforming where we are. But it's a tension. You know, uh, in the second century, there was a letter, early second century, there was a letter by called the letter to Diognetus and it was I read this the other day um, it's on citizenship where we actually live listen to what the contradiction of what a Christian is this is written early on in Christian history they live that is Christians live in their own countries but only as aliens they have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners every foreign land is their fatherland and yet for them Every fatherland is a foreign land. They marry like everyone else and beget children, but they do not cast out their offspring. They share their board with each other, but they're not their marriage bed. It is true they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the law requires." They love all men and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown and still they are condemned. They are put to death and yet they are brought to life. That is a great written picture of even the early church. Of what it meant to live in contradiction. What it meant to live in peace, yes, to show wholeness, completeness, but to know we're going to be missed. To live in that tension of wanting that security and safety, but not trying to plant it here, knowing that we can live here knowing we already have safety and security by the one who's come to us. By the one who's actually made his dwelling with us. See, here's what's fascinating about this psalm. This psalmist as they were going up, would eventually go back. It's not just the leaving. 
as we titled this, but the returning. There's a returning. And what would it look like for this psalmist to be in Jerusalem, remember what it means to not only connect with God on the road, but be with him and all those others, and then be driven back to where they dwell, where the narrative's hard, where they feel missed, where they don't know what someone's being real or not. It means they connect to who they really are in Jesus. It means they connect to who really gives them security. Home is wherever I'm with you. That's with the Lord. And that's why church is so important. It's not just about coming to a building. It's about actually engaging and being here that flows out into the rest of the week. That's why worship was changed from the end of the week to the first day of the week. Because it drove the people out into the rest of their week to engage with all of the world. Because it worked in them to remind them, where is home? Where is home? See, here's the amazing thing about Christianity. It's that the practice of it comes from God himself. You know, here's what's incredible about Christianity, different than anything else, is that God himself puts a name on Jesus called Emmanuel, which meant God dwells with us. And if there was anyone, if there was anyone who felt like a stranger, anyone who would feel like an outcast, anyone who put themselves in a position of leaving the place where they were most known, most connected, most secure, it was God in Jesus sending his son to dwell with us where he would be cast out, where he would lose what it meant to dwell. And he would dwell with us. See, that's what drives us back out. That's what helps us leave and return is the fact that we have a God who actually dwells with us in Jesus Christ. The place where we would never think he would dwell. And he would put himself in the most uncomfortable positions. And he would be completely missed. And not only missed, but betrayed by everyone. Everyone only to go to the cross so that we might, in our sojourning as pilgrims, would never be lost from finding our way back home. He came to dwell with us, continues to dwell with us, so that we know our dwelling in heaven drives us to help and love and continue. That's how we, the only way we can bring peace now <laughs> is knowing the one who brought peace to us, to reconcile us to God in his words, in his life, and in his dwelling with us. Praise be to God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, I thank you for dwelling with us. I, I am astonished that you would take your life and dwell in a place where you knew you would be misunderstood. And far beyond that, you would speak for peace and those who are for war would shout, crucify him. And you would lose all security with your father in the home that you had with him, the dwelling with him, so that we as pilgrims losing our way would be brought in, that our path going back would never be lost. Would we trust you? Would we believe in you in that? 
pray that we would do so in the name of, of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, let me sing our doxology for us as we, uh, as we finish our worship. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. If you would like, raise your hands in your hearts to receive the Lord's benediction. Now may that one who was secure in every way, who dwelt with God and yet left it, so that he may pilgrim and sojourn to us to bring us pilgrims to him, so that we may have a dwelling in and with him forever through our Emmanuel, that is Jesus. We pray in him and go in peace. Amen. Thanks be to God and see you soon.